0: Welcome. This is a rather unusual Sunday. Um, I would normally say welcome to the first Sunday in Lent. But it's not actually the first Sunday in Lent. That's next week. So what do we call this? The, the, The negative Sunday, negative one Sunday of Lent or something like that. I would normally kick off the Lenten series on the first Sunday in Lent. But it occurred to me as I was sort of putting this one together that the problem with doing that is Lent's already been going for four days when you start talking about it. Maybe we should start talking about Lent before it starts. You know, Lent is a time of preparing ourselves for Easter. I thought, ooh, let's have a Sunday and prepare ourselves for Lent. So congratulations, you are preparing to prepare for Easter. And you were here. I've never, I've never done this before. We're going to talk all through Lent, starting now, all the way through, about spiritual disciplines. And these aren't just things you do at Lent. They're things we do all throughout our lives, really, all throughout the year. But they are, they are things we practice to help us to know God better, to help us to be better followers of Christ, to live our lives as Christians well. And when I say we practice them, I don't mean that just in the sense of we do them. I want you to think about something that you actually practice. So You know, for me to be back there with the guitar, we're going around talking about, you know, how much time it takes everyone to do. You know, and this person, they need three hours to do five songs, and this person needs four hours to do five songs. I'm not even going to begin to tell you how many hours I need to do five songs. I need a ton of practice. But you know, when you practice, you're not always doing the thing you're actually going to be doing up there. Like, if you watched me practice guitar... A lot of the things I was doing was playing the same thing over and over and over and over again till I could learn it. There's this little place where you've got a hammer on with one finger and then you've got a hammer on with another. I must have done that for two hours, just getting the rhythm down and the timing. Wow, if I stood up here and did that, y'all would be out of here it would be boring. Or I told you that I played football in high school one year. We used to do these footwork drills, and I'm sure you've seen them. It's like tires. Or I think actually, um, you know, we weren't cool enough to have tires. That was Dunwoody High School. We were Peachtree High School. We were like, you know, the lowly stepchild back when Peachtree was a high school. So we used hula hoops. But you put these rings alternating on the field, and you've got to go through them one foot at a time. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And you've got to do that as fast as you can, over and over again. Now, how many people here have ever seen a football game? Excellent. How many people here have ever seen a man in a football game running through tires? Doesn't happen. You never do it. It's something that you practice. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, left left foot, left foot. But the idea isn't so that you can run through tires really fast. The idea is so that you can keep your feet under you when you're running on the field. That at whatever speed you're going, you have good center of gravity. You are able to keep going. You practice one thing, but the result is something else. The purpose is something else. That's spiritual disciplines. So today we're going to talk about fasting, not eating. The point of fasting isn't to get good at not eating. Wow, I'm outstanding at not eating. The point of fasting is to know God better. And that's the point of all the spiritual disciplines we're going we're to talk about. Another way I thought of it is like physical therapy. So my daughter takes karate, and as she was in the karate gymnastics class, they're learning to do flips and handsprings and things like that. She injured her hamstring. And so we took her to physical therapy. Now, the point of physical therapy is to get her strong enough so she can do the gymnastic moves. But you know, she never did a single handspring in physical therapy. She never did a handstand. They they put you in machines that make you lift your legs. And and she's got to do what we had this Sheets we had to take home. You have to stand on one leg, reach down, pick up a ball. She never does that in karate. There is no karate exercise where you stand on one leg, reach down, and pick up a ball. You did one thing. You practiced one thing to strengthen muscles so then you could go and do what you needed to do. That's what spiritual disciplines are. They're not physical therapy. They're spiritual therapy. They're strengthening spiritual muscles. They're developing capacities and abilities in you to help you to follow Christ to help you to know God, to help you to hear from God. So as I said, today we're going to talk about fasting. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah is almost dead smack in the middle of the Bible. If you just kind of let it flop open, it flop probably opens to Psalms. Just move to your right a little bit. You'll hit Isaiah. Um, but as you're turning there, let me give you a couple definitions. Fasting in the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. Every religion on the planet fasts. Like, everyone's figured out this is a tremendous spiritual therapy. It's an incredible way to strengthen spiritual muscles. In the scriptures, fasting is the voluntary giving up of food. Now, that's wide. Like, when you, when you hear fasting in the scriptures, it, it often doesn't necessarily tell you right, right off the bat what they gave up. It just means they gave up food. Some people give up all food. Some people give up food and drinking. Some people were in scripture give up meat. Some people give up wine. Some people give up what are called delicacies, which would be desserts and things like that. Fasting can encompass a huge, wide range of options. It simply means you are voluntarily choosing not to eat. And just like all religions on the planet fast, Christians fast. It's kind of fallen out of favor in our modern Western world. But, you know, Jesus is walking around in Luke chapter 5, and in his day, if you were a good religious person, like one of, the thing, one of the ways you knew that someone was religious was they fasted twice a week. That was the rule. You fast. Now, when you read fasting in the Bible, it usually means sunup to sundown. And when you read that someone fasted three days, for instance, that probably means sunup to sundown. They may have eaten in the morning beforehand and they may have eaten in the evening afterwards. And they got up the next day and did it. Which is why you'll read things like Moses went on the mountaintop and he didn't eat or drink anything for 40 days and 40 nights. Like if, if the fast is over the night as well, usually the writers will put that in there. So you know for sure. Esther calls a fast for three days and she says it, three days and three nights Probably otherwise, everybody's going to fast during the day and not during the evening. Jesus is asked, how come your guys don't fast these two days a week like good religious people do? And Jesus likens it to a wedding. He's like, when the bridegroom is there, you don't fast because a wedding's a celebration. It's a feast. But he says, the days are coming when the bridegroom will be gone. And then he says, my followers will fast. So nobody fasted when Jesus was walking around on the earth. But he kind of said once he left, we would be fasting. And in the the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, Jesus gives rules when you fast. Not if you fast. When you give money, when you pray, when you fast. He he seems to think that his followers are going to do just like people all throughout time. And again, fasting long predates Christianity. I mean, we've got writings, you know, from thousands of years before Jesus that document people fasting. He seems to think that we are gonna fast. So let's read and talk about what that might look at. So I'm gonna read the passage and we'll talk about it and then we'll talk practically. Okay, what could that look like for us? What are some things we could do? So this is Isaiah 58. I'm gonna read the first 12 verses. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rearguard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. So God starts out with a complaint in the prophets. And it's kind of a weird complaint, because his complaint is, my people want to hear from me. They want me to come near. They want to know my ways. Normally, the complaint is they don't want to know me. They don't want to know my ways. They don't want to hear from me. Like, what's going on? Why is God upset that people want to hear from them? Look at what happens in verse three. Look at what people say to God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Do you hear what they're saying? God, we've kept our side of the bargain. Why haven't you? We've done what we're supposed to do. We're fasting. We're doing the good spiritual things just like everybody knows you're supposed to. Why haven't you responded like we expect? Do you hear the view of God that they have there? This is a view, wow, I often have it, I'm sure you have it. This view of God as a transaction. This view of a relationship of God where really God is less a person and more a vending machine. I'm hungry, I want a Snickers. Oh, uh, what's that? That's D4, it costs a dollar. I put in my dollar, I push D4. I've done my part. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've made a selection and I've paid for it. Now it's the machine's turn. What is the machine supposed to do? Like, thunk. It's supposed to drop a Snickers bar. That's the deal. That's the transaction. I make a selection and pay for it. The machine gives me what I ask for. Have you ever put money into a machine? and it doesn't come out? How do you feel about that? You put D4, you put in your dollar, it goes, eh. and there's just a Snickers bar hanging there off a coil, not moving, right? You're laughing, but you're not laughing when that happens. Shake it, bang it, kick, side to side, or, or you might, I, I've thought to myself, oh, Okay, clearly I need two Snickers bars. So I put another dollar in, I pushed you forward, like this is gonna knock it out. Now there are two Snickers bars hanging up there. Now, doesn't that make you mad? Why? Because it's a transaction. You did your part. The machine didn't do its. That's how these people feel. God, we did our part. We fasted. And you didn't respond the way you're supposed to. You know, I'm a potter, and I have a chance to make a a big pottery order for some new restaurant that's going in in downtown Jerusalem. And so, well, I'll fast. I'll fast for three days, and then God will owe me this business deal. I'll do my part. God will do his part. They put in their money. They pushed business deal, three fasts. There you go. Er, Nothing. Doesn't get the deal. Doesn't happen. And they're angry because God is not keeping his side of the bargain. He's not keeping his side of the transaction. And God is angry too. That's how this starts out. It is God denouncing them. God is angry too. Why? Because who wants to be used? God's not a machine. He's a person. Who wants to be in a relationship where people treat you like a vending machine. I am sure you all can think of examples of when this has hap- had happened to you. So I'm in a, a men's group. I've been in this group since before I was the pastor. I was just a missionary, home on furlough. Get together with these couple guys once a week. You know, it's, just, it's a men's accountability, encouragement group. And another guy asked to join our group. He didn't go to our church, but he was friends with someone who went to our church. And he heard about it and he said, oh, you know, that'd be great. I could really use that. Meeting with some guys every week, a place where we can be open together and encourage one another, hold each other accountable. That would be great. I'd I'd really like that. Well, we didn't know him, but sure, that's what we're doing. I mean, we're all brothers in Christ. Absolutely. Come on. So we invite him to come join our little group. It wasn't too many meetings, by which I mean one. Before it became apparent that he was not there to grow in Christ, he was not there to be held accountable or to mutually encourage anyone. He was there to try and do a business deal. He was there and trying to get somebody from our group to invest in his idea. And so he tried to hijack the group, take it over, right? we'll, hit, hit, we'll come in. Oh, how do you think we felt about that? Oh, that was great, right? Sure, this person really cares about us and wants to be mutually encouraged by us. And no, we, we invited him not to return. And when it was apparent to him he wasn't going to get an investor out of this group, he wasn't interested in returning. We weren't happy. We, didn't, we weren't like excited about this. This guy was just using us. He heard about this group from someone in the church, got himself in under kind of false pretenses, and then went to work trying to, trying to get an investment, trying to get a business deal. That's how God feels. They're mad because they view God as a vending machine who's not giving them what they want when they clearly deserve it because they fasted, and everyone knows fasting is hard. And God is angry because He is not a vending machine, He is a person, and He does not want to be treated like a machine. No one wants to be treated that way. I don't, you don't, no one is excited about being used by someone. They're not interested in you for you. They're just interested in you for what they can get out of you. And so they ask, why? That's both their questions, why God, why? And he answers them. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and striking and, and strife, striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? You know, the thing about transactions is everyone is separate. Every transaction is a little tit for tat, a little you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And, that, and that's it. That's all they are. You've probably heard the expression. It's just business. It's nothing personal. It's just business. But God's not looking for business. God's looking for personal. And in personal, in relationships, everything is connected. Anyone who's married knows this. Everything is connected. If my wife asks me, hey, can you come home this afternoon at three and take Christina to her dentist appointment? I'm like, oh, sure, I'll do that. And then I don't. And I come home and sure enough, my wife's mad, for me, mad at me. Yep, That's fair, right? I didn't do what I said. Okay, and so I apologize. And now we're done, right? It's a transaction. I messed up. I apologized. We're, we're finished. Can you believe she's still kind of upset about it the next morning? What, what's up with that? Everything is connected in relationship. These people are like, oh, I'm doing this great thing. God, look, I'm fasting for you. Now give me the business deal. And God says to them, Whoa, wait, 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 <laughs> but you're not doing any of these other things. You're not interested in obedience. You're not interested in being my people. You're just interested in using me. In relationships, everything are connected. God does not want to be used. And so in verse five, he tells them, okay, look, here's what a fast should look like. He gives them the negative and he gives them the positive. The negative is, is it just a day to humble yourself? Is it just a day to bow your head, to lie in sackcloth and ashes? You know, the problem is we we might answer yes to that question when we think about fasting. What's the point of fasting? Yeah, it's to humble yourself. It's to be hungry all the time. It's to be aware that you're hungry, right? That, that's the purpose. God seems to think that's not the reason. Again, yeah, remember we talked about we, we, we practice things not so we get really good at putting right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot as we go through the, the hula hoops on the football field. We practice things so we're, we're good at something else when that happens in life. We're good at staying upright. We're, we're good at keeping our center of gravity as we move quickly across a field. God doesn't think That you should fast in order to get really good at fasting. And get really good at lying in sackcloth and ashes. Listen to what he says a fast is for. Is this not, verse 6, the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, and he just keeps going and going. Did you notice there's nothing about fasting in there? There's no instructions on fasting. I want instructions. God, what does a fast look like? Well, it's got to last at least three days. You've got to, uh, you, at least you have to not eat sugar, right? No sugar and no meat would be even better, but I want this detailed set of instructions. Here's what a fast is, because I want to treat God transactionally. I want to check off all the boxes and say, okay, look here, it says to fast, and so I've done the fasting. Now Now I'm okay, and you have to say I'm okay, and, and we're all good here. And God doesn't say anything about what a fast looks like he didn't say anything about what you should or shouldn't eat how often you should do it when nothing god talks about what you will look like if you fast if you fast for him if you use fasting to connect to him this is what's gonna happen to you now i want you to flip over just it's two pages in my bible i don't know how far it is in yours but chapter 61 of Isaiah, so we were in 58, chapter 61, this is a messianic section. What I'm about to read, the spirit of the Lord is on me, this will be said by the Messiah, the guy that God is going to send to redeem his people. Listen to what the Messiah does. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his people, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. Did you hear? It's all the same stuff. When the Messiah comes, he breaks the prisoners' bonds. He clothes the naked. He gives sight to the blind. He, he helps those who can't walk to walk. And then in the end, They are like well-watered trees and they restore buildings. It's the same thing. God says, if you will fast, you will become like Jesus. That's the point of fasting. That's why we do it. That's why we practice it. That's why it matters. God says to the Israelites, if you will practice fasting but like real fasting. Fasting for me, not fasting so you get good at rolling around in sackcloth and ashes and impressing everybody with your piety, including me. If you will really fast, that will transform you into being like Jesus. Folks, all the spiritual disciplines we're gonna talk about over the next couple months as we move towards Easter, they are, excuse me, none of them are about getting something. They are all about becoming someone. When we talk about prayer, the point of prayer is not so we become great prayers, win awards, and get asked to pray on national television. The point of studying prayer and learning to pray and practicing prayer is so we learn to talk to our God and to hear his spirit. When we're going to talk about the scriptures, the point is not to win Bible memory challenges and go on Jeopardy and just nail every one of those Bible verses. I'll take Bible verses for 5,000, thank you. It's not the point. The point is to know the God of the Bible. Everything we're going to talk about, it has nothing to do with getting anything from God. It has everything to do with becoming someone. You know, these folks, they kind of have two errors about fasting. One is that it's just about humbling yourself, rolling around and say, yeah, it's just bad. It's painful. We don't like it, but we got to do it. That's one side because it is so much more than that. Yes, it is painful. You are hungry. Absolutely. Not eating is not fun, okay? But that's not the point. And the other side, way over here, is equally wrong. That somehow if we do it, then God is going to owe us. If we do these spiritual things that scripture tells us. Jesus said, when the bridegroom's gone, my followers will fast. And he taught us, when you fast, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, okay, here I am, Lord. I'm doing it. Now you owe me. Brothers and sisters, I I hope this is not a spoiler in any way, shape, or form. God does not owe you anything. Nothing, zilch, nada. You know, I tell you all the time that we do not obey to get God to love us. God already loves us. That's why we obey. But our obedience, we are responding to him already. We're not doing it so he now owes us. Okay, I'll obey and then God's gotta come through. God has already come through. That's done. Now we are obeying. But in between those two extremes, there is the reality of fasting, which is that, yes, it is humbling yourself, and it does cost you something, but it is so much more. And no, God does not owe you, but it's a relationship, so he'll meet you. That's what we do in relationships, right? We, we, we meet each other, not because we have to, because we want to. God doesn't owe you when you fast and he doesn't promise you that he'll do something when you fast, but he says, then, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. God promises to meet us in these things, but he doesn't owe us and he's not a vending machine. And you can't make a deal with him okay, you know, God, I'll fast here, and then you have to do this. So I want to invite you this Lent. That's why we started the week before Lent. Lent begins on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, okay? Fat Tuesday, that's when you eat everything you're not going to get to eat again, Wednesday, that's when you stop. And it goes all the way through to Easter. Now, Lent does not include Sundays. Lent is 40 days. It's the six weeks, but six times seven is 42, so that'd be too much. It's Sunday. Well, in the Jewish case, it's Sunday through Friday. In our case, it's Monday through Saturday. So you get Sundays off. Sunday is a feast day. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to, uh, to fast on Sundays, but you can fast other days. I want to invite you to join me. If you've, if you if you know what you're doing for Lent and, and you know what the Lord said to you and you know how God meets you in fasting and all that, then that's great. I want to invite you to fast this Wednesday. I know it's Valentine's Day. I want you to fast sun up to sundown, okay? So you can still go out and have your good dinner afterwards. You can get up early and have breakfast if you want, if you're dedicated. I'm going to do it. I want you, I want to invite you. I'm not commanding you. I'm inviting you to fast on Wednesday. So from sunup to sundown, right? Don't eat any food. If you want to drink stuff, great. Please, please do, feel free. But that's what I'm going to do on Wednesday. And then we're going to have an Ash Wednesday service. We'll be right back here at 7 p.m. When we're done, it'll be dark, you know, so you can have your cookies in the car if you want you can just rush straight out there or do whatever it is you need to do. We'll meet back here and we'll have an Ash Wednesday service. And one of the things we'll do is talk about it. Did anybody fast today? What was it like? Did God, did God talk to you? Did, did he meet you? Now, again, there's no guarantees. Sometimes I fast and wow, God meets me right away. The first time I ever really seriously fasted was when we were missionaries in Africa. And it was the, we'd been there a year and it was hard <laughs> and it was bad and things were not going well. And so I'm like, okay, I got to do, do something. Like, God, you got you to talk to me. You got to help me here. And I decided, okay, I'll fast. Now I confess, it may have been more like their fast than a real fast. Like, it might've been a hunger strike as opposed to a fast. It's hard to tell sometimes thinking back whether I was just really annoyed that God hadn't done what I wanted and I was trying to punish him by not eating. Um, yeah, it made sense at the time. Either way, I committed not to eat. I was just, I was not going to eat. Un- like, until God talked to me. Until, like, God, you got you to change the situation, right? You got to change some, give me permission to leave. There's lots of other places in the world we could serve. I know you sent us here, but this is not working. And so I started fasting. On the third day, right around lunchtime, again, nothing special about day three or lunch or whatever, um, but wow, it was like all of a sudden, I didn't hear voices or anything like that, but all of a sudden I knew The problem wasn't Africa. The problem was Jeff. I had let bitterness grow up inside me. Like I I saw, again, I I can't explain it to you. God showed me that I was consumed by bitterness. And I heard that voice in Roman, uh, in the verse in in, uh, Hebrews that says, do not allow any bitter root to grow up among you. And I saw, I didn't have a bitter root. I had a bitter bush. I'd let it grow all the way up. Have you ever tried to pull a bush out of your yard? Do you know how, oh my, it was years of work to uproot the bitterness that I had let grow there because I had a set of expectations coming into missions and wow, they were not met. When I fasted, God didn't change the situation. He didn't change me. He didn't give us permission to go anywhere else. He did exactly what he said. He showed me who I was and who I was supposed to be. I was not supposed to be a man with a bitter bush in his heart. I was not supposed to be one of his followers who had let bitterness consume him. And I better get to work on that and i have seen god meet me in fasting over and over again and, and I, I can't explain it right because you know some people will be like yeah it's just not eating it's a bummer and some people will be like yeah sure you fast you get what you wanted somewhere in the middle as we deny ourselves as we practice jesus said we have to deny ourselves we're practicing denying ourselves somewhere in the middle god meets us god by his spirit talks to us, meets us, shows us things about ourselves, shows us who we should be, what we should be like. So I want to invite you. Now, again, if you're like, oh, yeah, I really think I should give up wine for Lent. God's really telling me I ought to stop eating lunches Monday through Friday. Yes, absolutely. If the Lord has said something to you, if you know what you're doing for Lent, right? If not, if this is all like crazy talk, you want me to what, not eat? You know, people starve to death when they don't eat. Trust me, you'll be okay, right? 12 hours, 14 hours, whatever it is, you'll be okay. I totally get, some of you get hangry. Some of you have blood sugar issues. Again, it's not a command. It's an invitation. Try it out. I mean, he seems to think that it's important. In that case, he's gonna have to help you. He's gonna have to smooth out your blood sugar, He's going to have to smooth out your hangry influences. He is going to have to help you in that. And if he doesn't meet you, then okay, that's not something he's doing with you right now. But wow, I have found it true in my life over decades that God meets me in fasting, that, that he likes it. He's, he's excited about it. it. We voluntarily give up something that we have every right to have. You have every right to food. You have absolutely every right. The scripture says the earth is the Lord's and and he's given all of it to us in his bounty. When you voluntarily choose not to do that, well, you look like Jesus, don't you? Who scripture says was part of the Trinity and lived in light that cannot be expressed with words and who voluntarily gave it all up for us. And somehow, when we do this little thing of voluntarily giving up. Yes, you have every right to have lunch, every day during lunch, two lunches if you want. But when you voluntarily give that up for him, not to get something from him, but to meet with him, to know him better, to be more like him, to be transformed into the image of his son, oh, he will meet with you in those cases. So if you don't have anything to do for Lent, again, one day, let me invite you Wednesday to fast. I'm gonna fast. Let me invite you to fast with me, right? And then we'll come right here Wednesday night at seven and we'll do, a, we'll do the whole Ash Wednesday service. We'll talk about it. We'll see what God is doing. If God meets you in that, ask him if he wants you to do anything else. Maybe that's it. Maybe he wants you to fast that one day and that's it. Maybe he wants you to fast every Wednesday. Maybe Who knows? That is between him and you. That's his business. This is not a command. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation to meet with your God. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God to speak to you. I'm going to ask God's spirit to talk to you. Like, is there something in particular he wants you to fast for Lent? And if he doesn't say anything to you, right? Or if he's like, no, you don't need to do that. Great. Blessings on you. And I'm going to invite him to invite you to fast with me on Wednesday and then come and join me Wednesday evening and we'll, we'll do the service and we'll see what he's done. So pray with me. Thank you, Lord. Like, I, I, I don't know why you have done this in our world. I, again, every religion understands that there is spiritual power in fasting, that involuntarily giving up something we have every right to and is your good gift to us. That, 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 that is powerful. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us in fasting. Thank you that you promised here in like seven, 800 BC, you're promising to meet with people. Jesus, you told us about it again when you walked on this earth and, and Christians down through the centuries have reported the same thing, that you meet with us in fasting, that as we deny ourselves, you come and fill those spaces back up So, Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, that that you would instruct us. Do you want us to fast to prepare for Easter? Because I know that the answer's not the same for everybody. Or it would be in the Bible. You would have commanded it if you wanted everyone to do it. But I know it's an invitation. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us as we take communion, as we sing, as we go about our business In the rest of the day, I pray that you would make your will clear to us. Is there anything you want us to give up for Lent? To to be reminded of your sacrifice so that we make room for you to come and meet with us? Do you want folks to come on Wednesday to fast and then come to the Wednesday evening service? Oh Lord, I pray for you to instruct people. We are all accountable to you, Lord Jesus. That's what scripture says. To his own master... Each person stands or falls, and you can make all of us stand. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lent begins on Wednesday. Is there anything where you want us to fast? Anything you want us to give up? Anything you want us to voluntarily sacrifice to make room for you to meet with us? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.